This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Go with me to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 now. As you're turning there, I, I can't allow tragedy or failure to define my life. And tragedy and failure are things that happen to me. But tragedy and failure is not my identity. My identity needs to come from the Lord Jesus, who Jesus says I can be and who Jesus says you can be. Now, if you were here last week, we were in Ziklag, 1 Samuel 30, and we'll go back to it here in a little bit. But King David had been on a a three-day excursion with his men, and he came home, and he had lost everything. He had lost his wife, his children, all of his possessions in one day. You're talking about a bad day. And so when we start here in James chapter 1, I believe this is vital information for me and you on how we'll respond in the midst of trials. And I believe this will teach you something here. So let's begin in James 1, verse 2. Read here, starting in verse 2. My brethren, my fellow brethren, count it all joy or a cheerful consistency when you fall into various trials. Now, he tells me here the proper attitude in meeting adversity is to count it all joy. And God's perf- uh, his perspective when viewing trials is his goal is it for to help us grow spiritually and help us to grow in, in maturity is his, is his goal for every one of us. Now, when we talk about a trial here, a trial serves as a discipline to remove the things in my life that are false. Now, there's some key, key words in there. If you'll get in verse 2, he said, when you fall into various trials. He didn't say if. He said, when you fall into various trials. So as a believer, guys, I'm not, I'm not immune, or I'm not one that will never go through trials, challenges, tests. I'm going to go through some things, and this is the warning that he gives us. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith. Now, let me ask you a question there with just what he said. What is your faith about? What you believe. So the testing of what you believe. And the testing of my faith is to prove what's really genuine in your heart. You know, the only way you'll ever know what's really genuine in your heart or the genuineness of your faith is is when life squeezes you. When you start getting some pressure, then you know what you'll find out? What's really in here. And when you find out what's really in here, guys, it will begin to either change you in a good way, or you'll look and say, man, I'm not not as deep in my faith as I needed to be. So he says here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now the patience he's talking about here, guys, is, is not a passive resignation to adversity. The patience he's talking about is a steadfastness, but also an, an encouragement on the inside of me to say, you know what, through God I can do all things. Through God I can get through this. And so he ends with this here, knowing that the testing for faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect word. The word perfect carries the idea of being fully developed and matured. And then he says, and complete or whole, lacking nothing. 
So once again, I can't know the depth of my character until I see how I react under pressure. Now let's go back to Ziklag with David. David's in great trial, a great test, a great challenge of his life that we, we referred to last week. And so he, he had to get to the place where my, my, my faith is being tested. Who am I going to lean on when my faith is being tested? And then on top of that, you find out that his own men betray him. Now, when people betray you, that's a whole nother test. Because it's very easy for me to be kind to people that are kind to me. But it's a whole different story when people treat me unfairly. And so when you talk about the word testimony, the only way that you have a testimony is to go through a test. And when you look at a testimony, it's an opportunity for you and me to grow. So when you hear of people that have a great testimony, understand this. They've gone through a great test. And every one of us, once again, will, will face tests and trials. Remember, he said, when you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Now turn with me to Psalm 46, and we're on our way back to 1 Samuel, but we're going to stop here first. 1 Samuel chapter 46. You may be here today and you say, I am in a great trial. I am in a great test. Well, I believe you're going to learn some things biblically today that will help you when you're in the midst of these. Psalm 46, verse number 1. Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and our strength. The message says it this way, he is a safe place to hide. Now think about those words. God is my refuge and my strength. He's reliable. He's not going to quit on me. He's not going to give up. What would happen if this would become my, not only my prayer, but my thanks to God to say, thank you, Father God, for being my strength and my refuge. And then in the last part of verse 1, he said, A very present help in troubles. An abundantly available help. Now, the, the writer here, he expresses a, a quiet confidence in God. And his confidence isn't in a God that, that is a temporary fix. His confidence is in a God who deals with us eternally. And God wants to, to be that refuge for every one of us. So I read all this and I think about King David's life. This is right where he's at. He's needing God to be a, a, a very present help in a time of trouble. Now go with me to 1 Samuel 30. And this is where we ended last week. And as you're on your way to 1 Samuel 30, I'm going to quote for you a, a proverb. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day... Of adversity, your strength or your faith is small. If you faint in the day of pressure, your strength is small. So when you, you read this here, when adversity comes, it comes to show us who we really are. And it gives us an opportunity to have our character developed in times of trouble. So here we are back to where we were last week. We're at a place called Ziklag. Ziklag was approximately 40 miles southwest of uh, Jerusalem. 
David comes home from this battle and once again, he's lost everything. He's having a bad day. So pick up with me, 1 Samuel verse 30, or chapter 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved or bitter, every man for his sons and daughters. So his men, these 600 men, they become irritated with David and they ultimately blame David. Now when you're in a hard situation in life, you have two choices. You'll either be part of the problem or you'll be part of the solution. I don't care who you are. And so David's life goes from bad to worse. All his men are mad at him. So look what he does here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Now all the words that we talked about there define David's time right now. He's in a trial. He's in a test. He's in great trouble. He's experiencing great adversity. And in this time in his life, what does he do? He strengthens himself or encourages himself in the Lord. If you'll note there, guys, he didn't, he didn't run to have an hour-long massage or a pedicure. He didn't go to happy hour. He didn't go to an afternoon matinee. He didn't run from God. Actually, he did what we talked about last week in James 4, 8. He drew near to God. So when we read here that, that David encouraged or strengthened himself in the Lord, what would that mean? I believe David would begin to remind himself of what God had done in his life. I, begin, I believe he began to praise God and he began to pray and he began to speak the word and he reminded himself, Father God, your mercy endures forever. Your grace is sufficient. And so what David does in this, in this tough time of his life, he shifts his focus off all the problem. And he says, I'm going to get my eyes on God. And this is a learning thing for every one of us in here. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read from a, a psalm. And this is Psalm 3. And I, I want you to listen to this here. Because I believe this is very appropriate for what David is going through in his life. Psalm 3, verse 1, it says, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. So right here when you read, many are coming against him. And many are beginning to mock him and say, you stupid calling on God. But listen to David's response in verse 3. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. The glory and the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I laid down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about. For thou, O Lord, art a shield for me and the glory and the lifter of my head. And so think about this here, guys. This is exactly what David began to do in a very difficult time in his life. Actually, you know what I like in this too? He preached himself a sermon. He looked in the mirror and he had to preach himself a sermon. And there's times me and you are going to have to do that. And when we preach ourselves a sermon, we remind ourselves of how great our God is. 
we remind ourselves of his faithfulness. So David begins to do this. Now let's keep reading and we're going to learn a bunch more here. Verse 7. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Now guys, the ephod was a, a robe or a piece of clothing that they would normally wear when they went into the temple. At this time in David's life, he could not go into the temple because that was in Jerusalem and King Saul would have killed him there. So what David does is he asks Abithar to bring him the ephod and right there where he was at, he says, I'm going to seek God. Now it tells me a couple of things. It's important for us to go to church and seek God. But another thing, God will respond to you wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. Now, this is my own personal ephod. And very seldom do I break this thing out. Actually, I don't know that anybody's ever seen me put this on when I really seek God. And it's just a thing, just a piece of cloth and everything. But this was what David put on. He would put on his ephod. And so all of King David's men knew when David breaks out the ephod, he means business. He's going to seek God. Now, to seek God like this for every one of us in this room is going to cost you one thing. Your time. I've got to take the time to get in the presence of God. And this is what David was willing to do. And a lot of times as believers, you know what? We want to hear from God but we want to go to the, the heavenly McDonald's, the heavenly drive-up window, and say, hey, God, give me an order of wisdom to go. See, I can be the same way. But yet, here in a great trial, in a great uh, adversity, David says, listen, I've got to take the time to get into the presence of the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, there's a passage about two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha is caught up with great serving. I mean, she is busy, 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 busy. And Jesus shows up to her house, and she gets so irritated with her sister Mary that she says to Jesus, Jesus, tell her to get off her blessed assurance and help me. Tell her to get busy. And Jesus says, now I'm just paraphrasing this, okay? That isn't really what he said. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus says, Martha, take a chill pill, dear, dear, and just listen for a second. Mary's chosen that one part, that good part. And you know what the good part was? Mary had sat at Jesus' feet and heard the word. And he said that she's chosen. And so for each one of us in here, guys, I've got to make the choice in my life where I hear the word, but I take time to get into the presence of the Lord. Now, as I looked at this and saw, David took the time to seek God. This what begins to roll in my mind in, in my natural life. Now, I want you to put yourself in here too. If I was to get a phone call, and on the other end of the line, they said to me, your wife and your kids, all your possessions have been stolen... What would be my first response? What would be your first response? Now, I can tell you what I did. I sat there and I thought about that. If I'd got that phone call, I would have picked up the phone 
And I would call all the biggest men and the toughest men in our church, and I'd say, boys, we're getting, getting a posse, and we're going to go kick some rear. We're going to go after them. The reason I say that is because King David was a warrior. He was a fighter, and I, I put myself in there because I thought, he had to think that same way. He had to begin to think, we're going to go after I'm going to catch him. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to catch these guys who did this. But yet, before he did that, he stopped and he backed up. And he said, i got to get God's thoughts on this. And even in the worst time of your life, the worst time, this is what really began to hit me. When the going gets tough, do I get on the phone and call everybody and say, man, it's bad, it's bad, all hell's broke loose? Or do I get on my knees and do I take the time to be still before God and to wait on God? And this is what he did. Can you imagine everything on the inside of him saying, go, go, go. You're wasting time. They're getting farther and farther away from you. I'm going to go seek God. I'm going to seek God. That's what he said, I'm going to seek God. Verse number 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? So, so you know what he does here. Not only does he take time to get in the presence of the Lord, he asks the Lord this question. James 4.2 says, You have not because you ask not. And so not only does he take time to get in, he begins to ask God. And when he took the time to be still and quiet before the Lord, look what the Lord does in the middle of verse 8. And he answered him. God answered him. And God responded and said, Pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail, recover all. And so as I looked at this, Every bit of this was birthed because this man said, I'm going to seek God. I'm not going to do anything until God gives me insight on what to do. Now, as he, as he sought God here, God responded in two ways. First of all, God gave him a rhema. The word rhema means a spoken word. And so God gives him a specific word. Right then. Then the second thing that at birth, God gave him a kairos. The word kairos means a specific time. So guess what God does here? He gives him a specific word for a specific moment. And God will do the same for me and you. He didn't do that for David because David was the next anointed king. He did that because David took the time to get in God's presence. How many of you today, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are needing a rhema right now? How many of you are needing a kairos? I'm telling you, I believe this with all my heart right now. God wants to do this for every one of us in this room. But i got to go back and i got to get into His presence. And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. In His presence is fullness of joy. So we go back a little bit here. Psalm 30 verse 5, it says, Sorrow may last for a night. But joy comes in the morning. So old David, he comes out of that tent with his ephod on. And his men look at him. 
And they say, he looks different. He acts a little different. Something happened to him right here. Something got into his heart. And you know what it was? Just as we sang this morning. Wake within me. Wake within me. And something awakened in his heart. And he regained his passion. So we go to chapter, or verse number 9. This even gets better. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. Wait, wait. The 600 men who were with him. You know why I'm going to highlight that? Because if you just backed up to verse 6, these were these same 600 knuckleheads who just wanted to kill him. And all of a sudden, they're great. David's greatest fan. We're back on the team. We're back with you. You the man, David. You the man. You're our boy. You're it. And so why would they have done that? Because once again, they saw something different. That he had the eye of the tiger. And the words he spoke of pursue, recover, or pursue, overtake, and recover, they just weren't words. They were now words of faith. And it had burst something within David. And when he said, pursue, overtake, and recover all, it was fresh off the printing press of God's Word, of His heart. He got a raiment just like every one of us need. Now, a couple things that jump out here with these 600 men. Number one, it shows me that David had forgiven them. If he hadn't forgiven them, he wasn't going to let them back in like that. So he had forgiven them. But number two, it's very important that we go through life seeking God. But what I found in life, me and you will never achieve the things God has for our life or even our our spiritual walk with Him without other people. We need each other. You know why we need each other? The Bible said one will put a thousand to flee, two will put ten thousand. So King David knows in order for me to recover, i got to have these guys. I need them. And it's the same with me and you. So here's what goes on here. David and his men begin to pursue the Malachites. And they come over this hill, and they're walking down in this valley, and they come upon this Egyptian slave who had been hanging out with the Malachites, and the Malachites had left him to die. He's on the verge of dying. David and them take him, give him food and water, And they restore him, and David looks at him and says, Listen, Bubba, can you lead us to where these knuckleheads are? And he said, I can take you there. So we're in the same chapter, 1 Samuel 30. Look over here in verse 16. And when he had brought him down, the Egyptian slave had brought David down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines, and from the land of Judah. I want you to get this, okay? Here they were, David and this Egyptian slave, and they come up on a peak of the hill, and they look down, and there they were. They're partying. They're celebrating. Because of the vast amounts of goods they had taken. They're dancing, and not only are they dancing, they're dancing at David's expense. They're hooping, hollering. Can you imagine what's going on in David's life now, right now? So we go back and we put ourselves in the story. And so I look over the hill and I look down there and I begin to notice some of my goods. And I think, 
That dude's wearing my tie. He's got my shoes on. And then he looks a little deeper and he sees all his livestock. And then he looks farther back and he sees his wives and his children and they're bound in ropes and chains. There's something beginning to happen on the inside of David. And what the Amalekites don't know is David has regained his passion. And he's got a fervor and a zeal on the inside of him that was birthed because he he chose to draw near to God. He chose to get in the presence of God. He said, Lord, can I lean on you when I'm not strong? And the Lord said, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. And so, my paraphrased edition of this, David's got his swagger back. He's got his swagger back, man, I'm telling you. And written all over him is, we're fixing to kick some tail. It's on. Like Donkey Kong, it's on. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. See, just because you've fallen doesn't mean you can't get back up. And just because you've fallen doesn't mean it's fatal. And just because you've fallen doesn't mean it's permanent. And there's many of you in this room here today that you've been drugged around, you've been knocked down, you've been kicked around by the enemy. But here's the deal. The devil is counting and banking on you not getting back up. Because if you get back up on the inside like David did, changes everything. Changes everything. Tang, pastor, you're preaching good. Verse 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except their hundred young men who rode on camels and they fleed. For over 24 hours, he attacked them. And when he's attacking them, I believe their chant was pursue, overtake, and recover all. Hashtag. Pursue, overtake, recover all. Hashtag. Pursue, overtake. Re- and he's kept on. He kept on. He was on the ins- I got to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get We're going to get him. We're going to get him. And when you study this, guys, they were outnumbered five to one. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It didn't matter how much they were outnumbered. David said, I'm going to recover everything that you stole because God said so. He gave me a raiment. He gave me a kairos. Now, for me and you's life, guys, it looks a little different. What do you mean? Ephesians 6, 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the devil and all those stupid angels that followed him. That's a paraphrased edition again, okay? So, whether we like it or not, we're still engaged in a battle, okay? You and me, we're still engaged in a battle. And a lot of times, guys, we, we have this mentality, well, I just want to wish it away. I would like to live a, a, a quiet and nice, comfortable life. And, and you know what? Fate will just... Maybe just make everything right, just by fact. Let me tell you something, that's a good thought. 
But whether you like it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. And there's an enemy called the devil who hates your guts. It says in 1 Peter 5.8 that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's on the prowl. So what do we do? Well, we've got to find out what our spiritual arsenal is. And then we've got to learn how to use it. And all that's found in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. You can read it. Part of it is the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I tell you, Ken Richburg said, Pastor, I should have brought you my sword today. It's probably good he didn't. Because I'd be up here swinging. But you've got to understand, when you speak the Word of God, it's like a sword. And you can go back into Luke 4 where Jesus himself, every time the devil would say anything to him, he would combat him with the word of God. He'd say, this is what the, the, the Bible says. It is written. It is written. See, anytime you can tell the devil where it's written, you can also tell him it's finished. Because the word of God doesn't change. So I've got to start getting a hold of the word of God. In, in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11, it says that the name of Jesus is above every name. I've got to get a revelation in my heart about the name of Jesus and then speak the name of Jesus. Speak it and speak it and speak it in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank God there's not a thousand limit on that name. Man, you can speak it and speak it. But it only works when you get a revelation of it. And then in Revelations 12, 11, it says, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Man, I've got to learn to live under the blood of Jesus. God doesn't expect me to be perfect. But he does expect me to, to use these weapons. And listen, guys, if you're not willing to use them, and if you're not willing to get in there and spend the time with the Lord, it's not going to be good. He's going to rip you off. He's going to steal, and he's going to steal, and he's going to steal, and he's going to steal. Why is that? Well, John 10 says he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? That's his mission. So we go back to the story, verse 18. So David recovered all that the Malachites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them. David recovered all. God literally turned his mourning into dancing. God exchanged beauty for ashes. Strength for fear, gladness for mourning, peace for despair in his life. And just as he got that rhema and he walked it out and obeyed God, he recovered all. So the legacy that David leaves right here is faith, is the audacity to believe God even in a catastrophe. Faith is the audacity to believe God on the worst day of your life. And this was the legacy that David left all those men. And I believe it's still a legacy for every one of us. That you know what? I trust God. And understand this. When God gave him those three words, those rhemas, pursue, overtake, and recover all, not one thing had changed in his life in the natural. Nothing. So you know what that tells me? When David went on the hunt to pursue them like God said to him, it was all by faith. Sometimes you're going to have to step out by faith. You're just going to have to start doing what God says by faith. And this is the way it looks. I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat setter. What did he say, Martha? 
I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat sitter. You know what a wet water walker is? At least he gets out of the boat and he's trying to walk on the water. He's moving toward Jesus. You know what a, a, a dry boat setter is? Peter's stupid getting out of the boat. That water's deep. It's cold. He didn't even have a life jacket. He's going to drown. I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat sitter. Some of you got to get out of the boat and let's start believing God and let's start trusting God. Now, i got one more scripture. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Ooh, you're going to get blessed here, okay? If you hadn't got blessed already, you're fixing to get blessed. And whether you realize this or not, we sang this this morning. Do you know the majority of the songs we sing are Scripture? It's full of the Word of God. That's why it's important, man. You get that on it, just start singing them. Just start singing the Word of God. Let it flow out of you. Look what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I've heard a lot of people quote that and said, well, you know, all things work together for good. All you know, all things. That's not true. That's not true. He said all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, I love God. To love God is to obey God. So for that verse to come to pass, i got to obey God. And so those who love God are known by God. And God just watches and says, that's my boy, that's my girl. And he'll nudge Jesus and say, look, look, he's getting back up. Look, look, they're getting back up. They're getting back up on the inside. There's something that's awakening on the inside of them today. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.